we're starting in the book of Romans chapter 5. The Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. I'm going to count to three. Can you just say the word sin with me? One, two, three. Sin. I hate that word. Does anybody else just grow to just, just hate it? Sin. I don't, I don't like the connotation to the word. I don't like what it brings. We read in this passage that there was one guy a long time ago. His name was Adam. Adam was given this opportunity to live with God, to relate with God, to have this life on earth in the Garden of Eden that was perfect. But God didn't force his obedience. God didn't force him to love him back. God gave him an opportunity to choose this free will. And there was a tree in the garden, and God said, of every tree you can eat of it, but don't eat of this one tree. Don't eat of that tree. Well, we read here, he kind of messed it up for the rest of us. Adam ate of the tree, Eve ate of the tree, and the Bible says sin entered into the world. That's, that's disobeying. When God says don't do it and we do it, that's called sin. When, when God says do something and we don't do it, that's called sin. And the Bible says sin entered into the world and death by sin. Listen, uh, I hate disease and death, and I'm just sick of it. I, I know that some of you in here, you have faced death in your family recently. Uh, I, I've been to more funerals at this church than I've ever been to. Uh, before I came here, I think I've only attended maybe one or two funerals, and I think I've had to speak at maybe 10 funerals since coming to this church. I'm tired of funerals. Uh, but I, I, I have to make aware of you, though, today that the reason we have death is because of sin. It is the root cause of, of all of it. Uh, I, I speak often about this, about my family. We have two boys. We have one son who's 10, one son who's 7. We've got a daughter in the middle. But our two boys have a disease called Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It makes their muscles weak. My son uses a wheelchair. A lot of problems that come with that. I hate it. I, I hate it. But the root cause of that disease is sin. That's why we have sickness and death in this world. The same issue that well, we're praying about with Pastor Tony and cancer, the same issue that you're facing in your life with disease, it's not because you're a bad person, it's because sin is in the world. The world is cursed by this thing called sin. I hate selfishness and pride and how sin affects our homes. Uh, uh, listen, I, growing up, I had to deal with a bunch of junk in my family because of sin. You, maybe your life and your home, if, if you live in a, of a home where you grew up where your parents are divorced, you've seen what selfishness and pride and sinful behavior has done to your family. You see when people only care about themselves and don't care about others, what it does to your family. We should, it should drive us to hate sin. Sin Causes us in our relationships to have struggling marriages. It's, it's, it's when you that, that distance you feel from your spouse. It's because of sin. Sin is this terrible thing that we deal with. 
sick of what sin is doing in our church. We, we have people considering divorce. We've got people considering whether or not they're a boy or a girl. They're fighting with this identity problem, this confusion that comes in. We've got people that are struggling to pay their bills. We've got so many difficulties that we go through through life, and the root cause of it all is sin. Don't you hate that? It hurts. The Bible says that sin came into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. It's a problem we all face. Romans chapter 6, if you look just one page forward in your Bible, Romans 6 verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Not only does sin have consequences here and now, but sin has consequences forever. It is because of sin that people miss heaven and have to spend eternity in hell. Do you understand that this this obstacle of sin is what keeps us from a right relationship with God, this peace with God, this forever in heaven? Sin is just the, it is the word. As we're going through this series about revival and we say, God, I want what you want for my life. I want your peace and I want your comfort and I want to walk in the spirit and man, I want to see my kids grow up and follow you and I want to have a healthy marriage and I, I want, and you, we list all these things that we want. Well, it's all on the other side of overcoming this issue of sin. This one little word. In James 1.15, the Bible talks about sin. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. When you have desires to sin, temptations, there is no situation where you continuing in that behavior or those thoughts ever leads to good for your life. It's never going to lead you to peace. It's never going to lead you to what you really want. The Bible says, sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. Death in your relationships, death in your marriage, John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. There is a devil, and he has a tool, and it's called sin. And he wants to tempt you. He wants to cause you to get distracted. He wants to mess up your life. Jesus says, I am come that they might have life, and that they might have it more abundantly What I am trying to say is that Jesus came to give you something better than a sin-filled, sin-cursed life. He came to overcome sin in your life. Do you understand that? I want you to look back in Romans chapter 5, verse number 19. The Bible says, For as by one man's disobedience... Many were made sinners. Because of what Adam did, we all are made sinners. We all have this problem of sin, and it's messing up our lives. We've seen, we've all know somebody that sin infiltrated their marriage, their mind, their thoughts, and now they're divorced. And we've, we deal with these issues, and we've dealt with these things here. And listen, the Bible says that there was one man, and that passed this all down to us. But on the opposite, so by The obedience of one shall many be made righteous. 
Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. Let me explain this to you. If you came in here and you've already felt the weight of your sin, you've got to understand that we all have felt that. We all understand that. We all feel that. Maybe you didn't understand that until you came in here, but we all are sinners. We're all in the same boat. But man, we're so glad that where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. I want to tell you today, it doesn't matter where you're at right now. You're not too far for God to save you from your sin. I don't, it, it doesn't matter how, how bad you think you are. The, what that verse means is that grace is bigger than all of your sin. Do you understand that? That's good news. Can you, can you say amen with me? Are you all with me? All right, listen. Grace is greater than all your sin. Jesus was righteous, and he made a way for us all to be completely forgiven. Verse 21 says, That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. What these verses are saying here is that Jesus came to save us from our sin. Can you say from? He came to save us from Listen, if you're new to church, I just want to clarify with you. If you're new to trying to understand your Bible, God doesn't expect you to first clean yourself up, get some things fixed, and then come to church and get things right with God, okay? That's not how it works. He doesn't say, hey, uh, you can't come to me unless you're perfect, unless you're righteous, like all these church people. And us church people, we laugh about that because we know, uh, you know, we all have issues. Uh, that's one thing I've learned working here is that every single one of us in here has issues. We all have problems. We all have sin. But Jesus came, and he doesn't say, come to me after you clean yourself up. He says, come to me just as you are. Listen, exactly how you are right now. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Exactly in the sin that you're dealing with, in the things that you're doing that you regret, God doesn't look down at you ready to beat you up, knock you down, tell you how bad you are. He looks at you to say, hey, I want to save you from your sin. Come to me and I will help you. Jesus doesn't leave us where we are. But so many of us, speaking to the Christians, there's this progression that I've noticed that I've fallen into myself that every one of us can identify with. There's a progression of our salvation and our walk with the Lord. It starts like this. Step number one, we're lost in sin. Meaning, we are unsaved unbelievers. We are lost. We, if, if we don't find out about Jesus, we will experience punishment for our own sin. We'll just continue on our own way. We're lost. And then it goes to being saved from sin. Thank God the day we got saved from sin. I remember I was 12, I prayed, and I just, I knew that Jesus died for me, and I said, God, please save me. The best way I know how to pray that, God, save me, take me to heaven. I recognize Jesus died and rose again. We go from lost in sin to saved from sin. Step three is being alive for God. We know that we got a new purpose. Today is cool because uh, there's a couple of people in here that are getting baptized, and when we got somebody in here, uh, it's all going to get light, lit up up there, and we're going to dunk them under the water. We're going to pull them up out of the water. And all that is to symbolize that their old life is past, and they get a new life with Christ. It's not the same anymore. Does that make sense? It's different. They're alive for God. They're not alive for their sin any longer. But so many of us today end up at step four. We were lost in sin. We got saved from sin. We're alive for God. But then we fall back 
in sin. In Romans chapter 6, after Paul talks about how where sin abounded, grace much more abounded, there's a very important verse, and I want you to see with your own eyes. He asks this question. Look in verse number 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Remember, he's talking to Christians. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we're buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father even so we also should walk in newness of life. He asked the question, If grace is so great that it covers all of our sin, does that mean that we should just like tolerate some things and just like kind of resolve that, oh, this is my struggle and God understands me and I'm going to continue in this, but God's grace is greater. Thank God for grace. Is that what he's saying? He says, shall we continue in sin, any kind of sin, that grace may abound? God forbid. That's a strong denial. It means let not such a thing be mentioned. Let me ask you a question. Is it okay for a believer in Jesus to continue in sin? Any sin? No! Thank you. You guys looked at You got the answer. You got the test. You know, the book is right here. Open book. God forbid. See, We should resolve that if there is something in our life that God disapproves of, that we are going to disapprove of that thing as well. The the idea here is that we are different. God has changed us. He has saved us from sin, and he no longer wants us just to continue on business as usual. And I want us each to consider what the Bible is saying. I've got three points. I'm going to try to keep them short today. But by the end of the message, I hope that all of us can make a resolution in our hearts, a decision. And here's the decision I want you to make. I want you to be able to say, if God's against it, so am I. Say that with me. If God's against it, so am I. Point number one. You're going to say, if God's against it, so am I. You've got to understand, number one, that God forbids continuing in sin. And so should we. God forbids continuing in sin. I know this message is going to be a little bit hard. But I, I feel like it's necessary. Because I know it's necessary for me. And I, I know that I, I don't want to come to church on Sunday hear messages about revival, the idea that we're going to get close to God and and he's going to answer our prayers and we're going to walk in the spirit. I don't want to do all that and waste my time. Because what happens is when we come up to this point of revival, there's only one obstacle that I know of that's between you and everything God wants for you. Between the church and everything God wants for the church. Sin. There's one obstacle. And it's sin. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin 
that grace may abound. God forbid. If God forbids continuing in sin, we should as well. I want to read a passage in Titus 2, verse 11. Titus 2, 11. You can look it up in your Bible. You can see it on the screen. The Bible says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. We ask this question and we say, well, if God's grace covers our sin, isn't it okay that we, we just keep doing it? I mean, I can't find victory in it. God's grace is enough, right? It's just enough. It's okay. God's grace, it's just grace. I need a lot of grace. Give me grace. God's grace. Listen, we have a misunderstanding of God's grace. Sometimes when we come to the Bible, we've got to realize that our, our ideas aren't always in agreement with what God's word says, okay? And we have to come to terms with that. The Bible says that God's grace in verse 11 of Titus 2, this grace that brings salvation that we all speak so highly of, it is a teacher. And that grace is teaching us some things, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. You understand, grace isn't there to be a permission slip or a pass for us to sin. Uh, It's not to be like a, a license to say, hey, just do what you want to do because God's grace covers it all. You understand? Listen, does God's grace cover it all? Oh yeah, oh yeah. But listen to what God says about his people and what he wants his grace to accomplish in our lives. We're still in Titus 2. Verse 13 says, Not only are we to live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world, but we're to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. Why? That he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Listen, God, for his people, anybody in here want to be part of that club? Say his people, I'm here, raise your hand, anybody? Okay, God redeemed you. He died for you so that, the Bible says, he can redeem you from all iniquity. He says, I want to take you where you were in iniquity, and I want to pick you up, and I want to get you out of there, and I want to put you over here. No longer in iniquity, okay? He wants to take you out of that. That's the whole definition of a church. It's a called out assembly. We're called out of the world's way of doing things. We're called out of our old mindset of doing things. We're called out of what other people say is permissible. And we're called into this new way of thinking. What God says is permissible. If you turn back in your Bible to Romans chapter 6 and verse number 12, the Bible tells us that it's something that we have an ability given to us by God to deny our flesh and not serve sin any longer. Uh, Romans 6 verse 12 says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, 
but under, under grace. See, this grace is not a permission to sin. This grace is a gift. It's a gift from God that says, hey, even though you sin, you're not too far gone. Even though you sin, I'll cover that and forgive you and cleanse you. But because I've cleansed you, because I've covered that sin, I'm calling you out of that stuff. I'm not, I'm, you're not here to do that any longer. You're no longer children of darkness. You're children of the light. Does that make sense? First point is God forbids continuing sin. So should we. But it, it, asks, it asks the question, we've got to ask, well, how do I know what sin is? How do I know what God says no to or not? Here's my point number two. The Bible defines what sin is, not us. The Bible defines what sin is, not us. I, I've got to be clear because I'm in a room of people and we all walk in and we all assume we're all Christians, we're all believers. Don't we all believe the same way? I'm going to tell you, no, we don't all believe the same way. But here's what we all need to do. We have to come into church and we got to realize that sometimes what we believe does not line up with what God says is true. What, what, what's on our mind, maybe some things we've accepted, some things we've gave ourselves permission to engage in, to do, maybe what's become normal in our family, maybe what's become normal at our school or our workplace, isn't what God calls normal for a, a Christian, okay? Does that make sense? We've got to come to God's word. See, the Bible says in Proverbs 14, 12, there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. It is possible that you think something seems right, but it's not right. And when something seems right, but it doesn't line up with what God says, it's not right. And the Bible says it can seem right, it can look right, it can appear right. Love is love. As an example. But just because it sounds good, just because it appears righteous, doesn't mean it is righteous. You follow me? There's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And the only thing we know that leads to death is sin. So how do we know what is right? 2 Timothy chapter 3 talks about God's word. And it says that all scripture, 2 Timothy 3 verse 16, all scripture, all the writings in this Bible, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Let me explain what that means. The Bible says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It means it's God-breathed. When we come to this Bible, we're not receiving this Bible as just something that some man thought up and wrote down. We're receiving this Bible as something that is God-breathed out. The Bible says that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. These people that wrote down, they wrote down exactly what God wanted them to write down. It was God's word being breathed through them. And the Bible says that this, this word, these scriptures, it not only God breathed, but it's profitable. Uh, when you're in business, we like the word profits, right? Profits are good, okay? Whenever you hear that word profitable, it means what's good for you. There are some things in this book that are good for you, all right? And it says, what, what is it good for? What is it good for? It's profitable for doctrine. 
That is what is right. The Bible has some things to say about what is right teaching and what is wrong teaching. You understand? This tells you what's right. How do I know what's right? Well, you ask the creator who created all this, how it's supposed to work, and see what he says about it. Doctrine, what is right? The Bible says it's profitable for reproof. Reproof means what is not right. There are some times you come to the Bible and it says, thou shalt not. And God says, that's not right. And when he says that, he's saying that for your good, for your benefit, for doctrine, what's right, for reproof, what's not right, for correction. That means how to get right. God doesn't leave you just knowing right and wrong, and when you're wrong, you're just stuck there. He says, I'm going to show you how to get out of that. I'm going to help you fix the problem, how to get right. And then it says, and for instruction in righteousness, that's how to stay right, how to walk with God. It's what is right, what's not right, how to get right, how to stay right. And it says that the man of God may be perfect. What that means is the Bible has everything you need for your life. It's going to help you. Everything you need, you can get it right here. All the answers, they're right here. That's where we go to. Here's what I'm trying to say. Is that Christians are different from the world because God's word is different. We don't follow just what culture says and what we hear on the news to be right because they say it. We come back to God's word and say, what does God's word say? What is right? Do you follow me? Romans chapter 12 says, and be not conformed to this world. See, some of us, we go out in the world, we leave here on Sunday, we hear some ideas. Or maybe we have a circumstance come up in our family and it causes us to question things that we hear, read in the Bible. Or it's just something new we've not heard of before. And if it's widely accepted out there, many times we just widely accept it as normal. Oh, this is today's day. This is how we do things. This is how we're going to roll. Well, what we have to realize is that that would make you being conformed to the world. They're pressing you into a mold. You go out there and it shapes you the way it wants to shape you. And you just allow yourself to bend to how it is teaching you. But the Bible says, Christians, we don't conform, we transform. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Some of you today are going to come face to face with maybe a specific sin or a specific idea. And your brain is telling you, but I believe it differently. Well, Christians, they allow God's word to transform their thinking. You cannot continue as a Christian with a mindset that says, this is how I am, this is how I always will be. Well, yeah, but I love the salvation part, but I don't line up with that part. It's all the parts or none of the parts. Do you understand? It's not me that's saying this. It's the Bible that says this. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Maybe we need to come and allow God to change the beliefs to believe something different than what we're already believing. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, verse number 9, about us Christians, but you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And I just want to be crystal clear. Christians, you have been saved out of the darkness. Does that make sense? Out of the darkness, from the sin, 
I do, we just need a fresh look at this because when we come to pray for revival, we're saying, God, work in my family. God, heal my pastor's son. God, help this person. God, provide for my needs. Oh, Lord, help my kids to turn out right. Oh, God, help me to whatever you're praying for. I want that fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, all those things. I want these benefits that God has to offer, but we come and we're just not listening. We're just not paying attention to what he has to say. We're ignoring the truth, and proceeding forward with our own ideas. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2, verse 10, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, I beg you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. You talk about being countercultural. Do not give in to your fleshly, your old sinful lust that war against the soul. It's a whole different line from live your truth, do what feels right, do what feels good, be free, be yourself. It's different than that. Abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation." Listen, I just want to be clear too, though uh, the world may look at us saying that a certain sin is wrong because God says it's wrong, they label that as hate or haters. You're a hater. Hey, you're making me feel bad. You are, you are uh, expressing violence on me. I, I want to be clear, we don't hate the sinners. We don't hate sinners. Amen. We were sinners. That's our, that's our people, and God saved us out of that so that we could go and love them and help them get out of that. Does that make sense? That's our whole purpose of being. We, we don't hate. We love. We care. Because if God says it's wrong, if God's against it, we should be against it too, and he's got our best interests at heart. I want to look at a passage real quick as we're talking about how God, uh, the Bible defines what sin is and not us. Ephesians chapter 5, if you'll turn there, I know I'm hopping around in some different places today, but this talks about our walk as children of God. We know Jesus, we're, we're his followers, we're children of God, but there is a certain way he's called us to live and to think and to believe, and so I want to highlight some things. Ephesians 5, 1 says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, which is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now I want to point out, if God says it's a sin, it is a sin. And shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid if God is forbidding us of something, well, we should take that very seriously. There's some serious language. God forbid. I want to walk through some of this. He says, 
But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as become as saints. He's talking to a church of believers, and he says, he's talking to me, he's among you, among us, in this group right here. If you're, if you're not here, include yourself in this. Among you, don't let it once be named among you. He names the sin fornication. That is sexual sin of any kind. You understand, the Bible's solution to sexual sin is in verse, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Hebrews 13.4 tells us marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. So we go through this series on revival. We have to come back to the belief that what God says is best and what God says is right. And the Bible says fornication should not be once named among you. What that means is, is if you are not married, you should not live together. Listen, I say that because it's not just a fellowship thing that happens from time to time. It's a cultural thing. It's a worldly thing. And Christians become conformed to think that that is normal and that's right. But the Bible says, listen, it's not right just to move in and kind of try things out and uh, see what it's like to combine your finances. No, no, no. We wait until we get married for those things to take place. You understand? Any sexual sin before and outside of marriage is a sin that should not be continued in. Let it not be once named among you. That means it should not be tolerated. And it's for our own good. It's for the good of the congregation. It's for the good of Christ's name. It's not, it says it's not becoming of those that are saints. It goes into also talk about all uncleanness and, and this sexual sin. Let me just clarify. That would include pornography, watching porn. If you're watching porn, you should confess it. You should address it. And you should protect yourself from it. Let it not be once named among you. You say, wow, I really want my youth group to experience revival. I'm go- I really want my family to experience revival. Man, I would love my kids to uh, be raised right. I-, I want them to follow God. You've got to overcome your personal sin before it becomes a, a public sin and something that is affecting everybody. You understand? Uh, living together before marriage, the Bible says it's, it's premarital sex. It is a sin. It is a sin, and if God's against it, we should be too. It should not be tolerated. Adultery, that would include uh, any sort of uh, lusting after somebody outside of marriage. That would be flirting, inappropriate apps that you have, texting, conversations with the opposite sex we're not married to. Let it not be once named among you. Not once. And I'm, I'm taking this seriously because God takes it seriously. And if, if we're going to use our time wisely here, and we're going to say, God, I pray that you heal so-and-so. And God, I, God, please bring us revival. Well, we're just wasting our words if we're not going to take these things seriously. If God says in here so much to, to say, it says, For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. He's saying, my people don't do these things continually. And so if we are finding ourselves without remorse, continuing to do these things, we need to question, am I his anyway? Am I a Christian? That's what the Bible says. The Bible says you don't need to know you're a Christian because you prayed a prayer one time long ago, or your parents told you you were saved, or you've always been in church. 
It's because you know that you have faith in Christ and those things will be evidenced in your lifestyle. So you need to examine yourself. Not only says fornication and uncleanness, uncleanness which is any impurity, but it goes in and he says covetousness. Covetousness is an improper desire of obtaining and possessing, an inordinate desire of wealth or material gain. It's like the man in the Bible who, he was a farmer and he had these barns. And uh, I don't have any barns. I have no interest in being a farmer, but I understand the illustration. He, he was uh, getting to himself a lot of stuff. And he cared a lot about his stuff. He filled up this barn and he says, wow, what am I going to do? I have all this stuff. Oh, I know what I should do. I'm going to tear down this barn. I'm going to build a bigger barn. And I'm going to fill it with more stuff. And God called him a fool. He said, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. And somebody that's covetousness, covetous, it's the person that ignores their spiritual well-being, ignores their relationship with God, even to the detriment of their family, their church, and to what they're called to be as a Christian so that they can pursue a career or their job or finances or what have you. But it's, it's an improper desire for those things. It's out of order of what it should be. When it comes to this avoiding fornication, uncleanness, or covetousness, there's a quote that I'd love to read. Uh, it's by D.L. Moody. He said this, God doesn't seek for golden vessels and does not ask for silver ones, but he must have clean ones. He must have clean ones. The Bible continues on and says also, filthiness, foolish talking, jesting. What that would mean is obscenity, cursing, cuss words, right? It says, uh, in Proverbs 4.23, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Put away from thee a froward mouth, and perverse lips put far from thee. The idea here is that if you're around people, places, entertainment, where cursing is just constantly flowing in your brain, that is sin, and it should not be once named among you. And the thing is, this stuff isn't popular. I understand this is a hard message. Okay, please bear with me to the end. It will, it will come to a close. But listen, let's not fool ourselves that these things are acceptable. Let's not pretend like God doesn't see. God sees. Let's not pretend like it doesn't affect us. It affects us. We've got to control what it is we watch, who it is we spend our time with, and be able to say, if God's against it, so am I. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 8, the Bible says, For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children of light. It says, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. There are certain behaviors and ways of living that are acceptable unto the Lord for a believer. It's not about saying, well, this is what I think is right and you think this is right. No, no. We come back to what does God say and the Bible defines what sin is, not us. So we have to ask ourselves, are we participating in continually what Jesus saved us from? The Bible went on to say in Ephesians 5 verse 11, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. We've got to be cautious of who we spend time with, what we figure is acceptable, who we relate with, because it affects us. It affects us. In, in 1 Corinthians, uh, there was a, a sexual sin going on in the church. And uh, Paul, he really reprimanded them and said, why, why didn't you deal with this? And he said this phrase, do you know a little leaven leavens the whole lump? 
I mean, you get a little yeast in a, a piece of dough and bread. Listen, it affects everything. You may believe that your sin is private and it's only affecting you. But down the road, you're going to see how it affects your kids, how it affects your marriage, how it affects your church. And so I'm telling you that we need to address it the way God addresses it. Verse 13, Ephesians chapter 5 says, But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. And whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. We talk about revival. That's the idea, that we're maybe being careless, and we need to be brought back awake to care. We're overlooking things, or, or tolerating sin, and we need to be brought back to the light. It is impossible to have revival without repentance. Do you understand? The hard step that when taken will produce the greatest results for you in your life and in this church is that step of confessing of sin and forsaking it. Confessing of sin and forsaking it. You did it already when you were first saved. You came to God and there was that moment in your life where you came to God and, and he, he was showing you, where you what you were like in front of him. A holy God that you had sinned, that you lied, that you were selfish and prideful. And you came to him humbly. And you humbled yourself. You said, God, I'm sorry for this. I did this. And you owned it. You took responsibility for it. And when you did that, you know what he did? He forgave you. He saved you. He gave you a whole new life. But we fall back into what he saved us from. We've got to do that again. I'm not saying you've got to get saved again. But the only way to get clean is to confess it and forsake it. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, verse number 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. We want a spiritual revival. We want God to work in our lives. I mean, what would it be like, fathers? Imagine what it would be like to uh, have a supernatural strength to love your kids, to be patient, to care. How does that feel? Love, joy, peace, to have peace that passes all understanding. For God to use you again so that you don't feel like you're on the sidelines, unable to be used. Listen, spiritual revival, here's my third point, and sinful living are incompatible. Spiritual revival and sinful living are incompatible. You cannot walk in the spirit and walk in the flesh at the same time. If there's unconfessed, unrepented of sin, you have to deal with it or else you are not walking in the spirit. Galatians 5, verse 16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Each one of us has our flesh. That's our desires, what we want to do. That sinful nature we inherited from Adam. But we also are alive to God. We're alive to this righteous living. We're alive to serve him. And that's God's desires, his spirit working in us to do what's right, to love, to give, to be generous. God's desires leading us towards righteousness. But when we're following our flesh, the Bible says the works of the flesh show up in our life, this sin. We have this long list in Galatians um, chapter 5, verse number 19. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, 
This is a long list, okay? Envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such the like, of which I tell you before, as I have told you also in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. We've got to examine ourselves. We, we prayed this dangerous prayer. Search me, O God. Know my thoughts. Prayed to God, see if there be any wicked way in me. And I'm just asking you today to, to make a decision. To, if he brought that to light, are you going to determine, God, I'm going to submit to you. I'm going to repent of this. I'm going to confess it, forsake it, deal with it. And I'm going to receive your mercy again. Or are you going to continue the way that you're doing? There's really only two options. The Bible says when we walk in the Spirit, we have this fruit of the Spirit that shows up. Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Those sound real nice. Be great if that showed up in our church, showed up in our homes, showed up in our marriages. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If you're tolerating unconfessed, unrepented of sin, you cannot expect to see the fruit of the Spirit in your life. 2 Timothy describes another list of sin. 2 Timothy 3, verse number 1. This also know that in the last days, perilous times shall come. To be honest, we don't know if we're in the last days. It sure seems that way. Or maybe we have a couple thousand years left on this planet. But listen to the description of people in the last days. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud. It's all about us. Blasphemers, disobedient to parents, still a sin. Unthankful, still a sin. Unholy, without natural affection. Truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Listen to this. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such turn away. God is calling you, every single one of you that can hear me, if you are a believer, he says from these sins, from this mindset that a Christian can continue in sin or maybe pretend like there's no sin, this form of godliness, but denying God's power, we're to turn away. We're to rather reprove them, to not have fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. It's pretty serious stuff. God forbids continuing in sin. So should we. The Bible defines what sin is, not us. And spiritual revival and sinful living are incompatible. 